You're listening to Trek FM. Riker to Captain Picard. Go ahead, number one. May I see you in the observation lounge, sir? I'll be right there. This seems to be some kind of meeting place. Some kind of meeting. Some 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 kind of meeting place. Could you want me? Might be good. I don't think they're going to let us in, Artu. We'd better go. Maybe we'd better talk out here. The observation lounge has turned into a swamp. Artu, wait! Oh dear. Artu! Artu, I really don't think we should rush into Welcome to the Observation Lounge, Episode 1, for the week of November 2nd, 2012. A walking Wikipedia. I'm Greg Harbin. I've basically gotten together a grab bag of Twitter nerds to talk with me about this breaking news uh, that happened today. Um, I guess basically what happened was Disney purchased Lucasfilm and the internet went crazy. And I said, I need to talk about this with people. So I got on basically who I thought was people who had the most interesting things to say um, as I was talking with people on Twitter and Christopher Jones, who's in (laughs) Japan and just woke up. So first of all is my co-host from the ready room, Christopher Jones, uh, head honcho of Trek FM. Welcome, Chris. I just woke up to this breaking news via iMessage from you. (laughs) Yes, right. <laughs> which broke like six hours ago while you were sleeping, but that's fine. And it's weird because, you know, I actually live in the future, yet I'm the last person that's to true. find out. But you're behind on things for once, uh, thankfully. Finally, <laughs> we're ahead of you for once. <laughs> and also joining us is Drew Stewart, a frequent guest on The Ready Room, as well as uh, Playing Doctors, which is the show I'm also a guest on sometimes. Um, so welcome, Drew. Well, thank you. And also joining us is Matthew Rushing, who is somebody I have never been on a podcast with before, but I I know him on the Twitters and seems like a fantastic guy. So welcome, Matthew Rushing. Thank you. Thank you very much. And and may the force be with you, Greg. Thank you. Live long and prosper. So say we all. Wait, no, that's that's wrong. It's the wrong. No, we can mix it. We can mix it. That's the point of the observation. This This is where the synergy of the two come together. And so all of them. Yeah. We can say yeah. we can say Battlestar Galactica and we don't have to point it out. Mm. We <laughs> don't have to make sound effects. Nope. <laughs> we can even talk about bosom buddies on here. It's perfectly fine. So the observation lounge is basically gonna be general geek discussion. It's not gonna be any particular show or or even that it's gonna be about a show. You know, one week we could talk about iPads. Next week, we could talk about, you know, the Samsung Galaxy Tab HD 2 uh, for Windows Phone. Uh, you never know what we're going to talk about from week to week. This week, obviously, the big news is that kind of in a surprising move, Disney has purchased basically every thought that Lucas has had for the last 50 years for $4 billion. And Kathleen Kennedy who is um, basically one of Spielberg's producers, is and, and she's been a producer of Lucasfilm as well. She's taking over Star Wars, taking over Lucasfilm, and they've announced that in 2015, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Revenge of Jar Jar, is going to be released. And uh, basically, yeah, the internet exploded. So, so are we, is it okay to say then that uh, it looks like that the rat, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, the mouse, um, Mickey Mouse, ha, um, <laughs> is going to become the emperor and uh, that he now runs the empire? I mean, they own Marvel. <laughs> they own uh, everything yeah. Lucas has ever done. I mean, Howard the Duck, the big one that we were going to be talking about tonight. Yeah. Yeah, Disney Disney just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I mean, they already own ABC. Wait, they wait. They own They already owned Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck's a Marvel property. Oh, that's, oh, that's right. right. There you go. You're right. So now they just own yeah. both sides. <laughs> they're, uh, they're trying to own all of Howard oh, the Duck. This that's is what this is about. Plan. It's a power <laughs> grab. Uh, they had to get all We've of Howard the Duck. We've been looking the wrong duck. way. And and to do it, they yeah. had to go through 
a galaxy far, far away. Exactly. Well, I have to tell you, my expectation is that, um, well, first of all, they're going to have to recast because, you know, Mark Hamill is not really, he's not going to be able to come back and play Luke Skywalker and pick up from Return of the Jedi. So right. uh, with it being Disney, I fully expect that they will cast Zac Efron as Luke Skywalker, <laughs> um, Vanessa Hudgens as Princess Leia. And then everyone's favorite character from the past, Jar Jar Binks, will come back, but he will be played by Goofy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's that's actually not too bad. I could get behind that. You know, I, I heard somebody say <laughs> there should be a Daffy Duck, Howard the Duck, Buddy Cop movie, Ooh. which Ooh. I think could be pretty good, yes. actually. No, I, I, my favorite thing that I saw was, uh, does this make Leia a Disney princess? I, and it uh, absolutely it does. does, right? And, I and think that's fantastic. I hope she's does. included in the princess parade mm. at Disney World. Oh, yeah. In her Slave Leia outfit, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Of course. What every little girl yes. will want to be next year for Halloween. Right. Now, now the people didn't get to see <laughs> my, my video reaction to and every time. Uh, I, what comes out in 2015? Because I don't even think I can say it. Uh, it would be Star Wars Episode Seven. The Revenge of Jar Jar. The new yes. Disney princess. <laughs> oh, see, <laughs> I just, it's been, Lucas has gone back and forth so often on, it's a, it's a, it's a three movie saga, it's a six movie saga, it's a nine movie yeah. saga, it's a 12 movie saga, and back and forth. Oh yeah, he forth. was saying 12 movie, what, back in 81, he was saying hey, there's gonna be 12 movies. Do you remember when that Red Tails came out, like six mm -hmm. months ago, and Lucas said, there will never be another Star Wars movie. I've never had any ideas for seven, eight, or nine. And here I, it is. I have a quote. Okay. I have a quote from 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 uh, Total Film. This is May two thousand eight. So this was three years after episode after episode three, four years ago. He says, "Quote: There will definitely be no episodes seven through nine. That's because there isn't any story. I mean, I never thought of anything." <laughs> Unquote. George Lucas. <laughs> Oh. Well, George... It's just... Yeah. Well, he was the inspiration for... Let's remember, seven, six months ago, Tim Cook stood up and said, we will never make a seven-inch iPad. <sighs> hey, that was right. I thought that was Jobs that said that. Yeah. And, and Scott Forstall stood up and said, I'm going to have a job tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Poor guy. We could talk about things like this, and it's still on subject. This is great. Mm. Exactly. I exactly. Yeah, if, if the Star Wars news hadn't come out, we might be talking about Scott Forstall right now, but uh, we don't... We don't have the ability. Uh, but as you say, Lucas goes back and forth on on what he says he's going to do. And now, you know, in this weird kind of awkward video um, with Kathleen Kennedy and an unnamed third party. Okay, good. I didn't miss that. I'm like, <laughs> some Disney person? I'm Somebody, <laughs> I'm assuming Disney person, pet reporter. I don't know. She's not named. Um, yeah, he says that he has the story planned out for 7, 8, and 9. So they're going to make 7, 8, and 9. And then, quote, every two or three years, it's going to be another movie. So it could be uh, a Boba Fett film. It could be young Han Solo. Um, Shia LaBeouf ha has a job yeah, now. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be like J Django Fett goes to school. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Exactly. I really can't wait to see what IG-88 does on his off hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always been wondering about that Ithorian that's right in the background there of the original cantina scene and i want to know what his Mo story is yes i want to know what's in the books yeah i, I want to no 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 <laughs> those don't exist anymore because we're about to rewrite over all, all of that so i want to know the official story from the man himself the maker <laughs> i want to know what george lucas says about that athorian if you went up to george lucas and you asked him what about that athorian he would stare at you what yes the hammerhead. No. What? I don't know. The I, alien. I, I, think, the, I think you could tell me. He won't even, he doesn't remember those movies. Th this, is a, this is a good point that you and every one of your friends have seen Star Wars more times than George Lucas has. Yes. That's a it possibility. Is absolutely it's, true. It's, it's definitely true in my case. Questionable. Yeah. Unquestionable. I know the special edition changes better than anybody in Industrial Light and Magic. I guarantee you. Yeah. I, I, I believe you. It's, I, it's I, saw the, I saw the. The, the proof on the other side of the room, uh, Drew was showing me his uh, copious amounts of notes. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I think, though, for George, uh, I believe that the 
Clone Wars has really given him an opportunity to do something new and different with Star Wars, and I think it's inspired him to see that Star Wars can mm-hmm. be something bigger. Um, and I yeah. think that that's part of this move, um, that he sees that we could do, you know, 7, 8, and 9 in, a, in maybe a different way he hadn't envisioned before. Um, and, you know, he's never been above changing. Um uh, he's always mm-hmm. been about change, and 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 so I, I I think that that's had a lot to do with this move, and that too, he doesn't want to be in charge of it anymore. Good. Yeah. Yes. yes. Exactly. That's good. That's what I want to say. Like, do you guys feel also the way I feel about episodes one, two, and three, especially episode one? I felt in terms of a story was pretty much a disaster, yes. and I almost I feel like with George Lucas and Star Wars, it's a lot like. Star Trek became with Gene Roddenberry mm-hmm. that you really need to turn you created the concept and it's wonderful but you really need to turn it over yeah. to someone else to write the stories to write the dialogue to write the drama and move it forward because it's so uh what do I want to say just so um basic yeah, yeah. that's not the yeah. word I want but yeah well it's it's that the Star Wars universe is so much bigger than George Lucas can imagine in his little yeah. writing room you know, when he, and he sat down in, in 1997 to write episode one, I just don't think he had big enough ideas. He had ideas. They were interesting. He made three movies that I, I don't think they're awful. Uh, they're just not great. And they're, yeah, they're very simple. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at all of the history of Star Wars, you look at this universe, there's so much to it. Yeah. And that's what I love, Matthew, as you're talking about Clone Wars, giving it away. Yeah. Letting ILM basically direct it, um, letting all these different writers and directors come in. I feel like they're really capturing what I love about Star Wars at this point. You know, it's not Anakin's story. It's this world of Star Wars. That's, that's just really exciting and cool to play around in. Well, and he, and and especially in Clone Wars, I think one of the best things has been, is he took um, Dave Filoni under his wing and created a show um, that has his imprint on it. And yet he's allowed Dave to take what he loves about Star Wars. And what's great about Dave is it's it's what we love about Star Wars. And he's put that on mm-hmm. screen because um, he's taken those characters and really made them shine. Um, and, you know, I think he's also been able to work with writers who have um, a lot more... Um, polish and shine in what they write for the characters to say and it always sounds Mm -hmm. like obi-wan it always sounds like anakin and yet it just sounds a little bit better than when george writes it Mm -hmm. yeah and this is this is something that that i've looked forward to for years i've I've made the argument myself that that lucas needs to to give it up and let other people play in the universe and stuff but now that it comes down to it now that now that that time has come i'm i guess i'm not it's not that i'm not ready i don't think lucas should do it anymore but i don't know if anybody else should either especially i mean reading that they bought it and that the movies are episode 7 is already in pre-production upsets me it upset mm. me that you know it's not like oh you know maybe it's it's a real thing it's going to happen and it i'm i guess i'm not ready for it especially since my big thing now i've i've already given up i've given up on the expanded universe i've almost given up on empire and return of the jedi i'm i'm so focused on the original star wars now i watched it uh Hmm. i watched a preservation of the version that i watched when i was a kid and it grabbed me just like it did as a kid the original cut full screen it was sped up i mean it was it was awful but it 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 still had that (laughs) magic and I can't watch that legally. Yeah. And I think that I'm afraid that Disney is, they're, they're not going to, I don't want them to cater to me, but I want them to cater to me as an old school fan. Mm. And I'm afraid that they're just going to be so intent on making their own version of Star Wars that they're going to ignore the originals, which is worse than messing with them, ignoring them completely. Yeah. And then it'll just be gone forever. Well, I think part of the problem maybe what you're describing too for Star Wars is that unlike Star Trek, which was created from the beginning as kind of an open-ended universe and it's science fiction and you're exploring uh, various aspects of society through Star Trek, Star Wars on the other hand is 
it takes place in space, but it's really not science fiction in the mm -hmm. first place. It's mythology. Yeah. It's the classic hero's journey that Luke Skywalker or Luke Skywalker. Later on, I guess you could say Anakin as well, but but really originally in the movie, it's Luke Skywalker's journey, uh, especially through what came to be known as A New Hope and then, and then the, the original trilogy. So when it was originally envisioned, he was telling the story of Luke Skywalker. And that was that. And there wasn't this intention that there's this vast galaxy and there are all these different aliens uh, out there and all these different... Um, planets and empires and civilizations uh, that we could explore. But then, in order for Star Wars to continue on beyond that original vision, it has to take the leap from being mythology to being science fiction. And then you go out and you start to explore the universe. But, you know, by doing that, you are losing the essence of what Star Wars was in the first place. Hmm. And then Star Wars is simply becoming a science fiction franchise that's open-ended. And that's what you see, I think, in the expanded universe where people get on with all the right. the lives of the different characters, you know, after the movies. But I think, you know, it was the classic Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces, mm -hmm. the hero's journey. That's what Star Wars was. And, but George Lucas wants to keep making money from it. So that's why we have one, two, and three. That's why right. we have him changing the movie every time there's a new media platform on which he can release it. And I'm afraid that Disney, like you said, Drew, is going to just throw it all out the window and they're just going to run and I guess in a way bastardize Star Wars mm -hmm. and just turn it into a money-making machine because that's essentially all Disney is these days. Is If they hadn't announced this today, I would be talking right now at my obsession, at my upsetness uh Star Wars Angry Birds and how that mm. is the final straw. Mm. But that's just the scratching the surface now. Well, I, I mean, well, okay, we're so, going to so get first Star impressions, Wars everything. Uh, yeah. And they say that in the yeah. press release. Yeah. They I, think there are more places we can exploit. I'm like, really? What else? <laughs> and exploit yeah, is the I key think, word, right. right? But I'll, I'll say this, and I just, I'll defend them a little bit in, in that they did take Marvel and create a incredible universe there in their films. Um, and yeah. the, uh, the Avengers was one of the best comic book movies I've ever seen and strictly comic booky type film. Um, and I think it's what they did there is that they respected the comic book. They respected those characters and they did their utmost to transform those into um, something that people who loved the comic books, who loved those originals, could really look to and enjoy when they saw them on screen. And so I, I, I see that same love when I watched The Clone Wars. And um, I feel like if that is what they decide to do with Star Wars in 7, 8, and 9, then that's what makes me excited. Because that mm -hmm. means what you were talking about, Drew of getting that um, somebody else to do this. Like, let's get a Joss Wheaton in there and have them direct this thing and knock the socks off of it, you know? As you say, they took Marvel, and I don't think Marvel's been ruined. You know, Marvel's still making comic books. They, they're they actually doing some really cool stuff with the Avengers right now. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not hearing anybody complaining that Marvel's ruined the core, of, or that Disney's ruined the core of Marvel. And then on a mass market scale, yeah, we're seeing these movies that are really, really good. I mean, when DC tries to make movies and they, they partner with various various companies and, you know, one company gets one character, another company gets another character, it's not that great. You know, mm -hmm. we saw Daredevil um, is what happens when Marvel tries to say, well, here, you can have Daredevil. Um, I forget who got Daredevil. And then they say, well, we'll do Daredevil, then we'll do Elektra. That's going to be really big. But, you know, Disney, as Lucas says in this weird video, Disney's a big company. They have a lot of people. They can handle a lot of things. So they can take the entire Star Wars universe and do stuff with it that's going to be really cool, really exciting. It's going to make the fans happy. Mm -hmm. You know, The Avengers is one of the best genre films that's come out in the last 10 years. And it comes entirely out of the acquisition that Disney did of Marvel. You know, maybe the first Iron Man, you can't, um, 
can't quite give Disney the credit for that, but Avengers is entirely Disney. Disney hired Joss Whedon. Disney gave him complete control. Disney is now giving him a TV series. Like, who else was going to do that? If Lucas isn't going to make any more Star Wars, and okay, maybe your perspective is you don't want more Star Wars, but I do. I, I want to see this. I want to see this universe be expanded more mm-hmm. on screen. So if that's going to happen, do I want to see it sold to Fox? That's probably going to ruin it. Do I want to see Lucas hand it over to somebody else at Lucasfilm and and see it fizzle just because Lucasfilm doesn't have the resources um, without Lucas at the helm? I, I kind of do want them to see it pass it over to someone like Disney who can manage it, who can make a TV series and make all the licensing and make all the stuff and, and make a new generation of kids excited about Star Wars. So that's I just want to talk about Disney and, and whether or not that's a good idea. Is anyone here like super anti-Disney that can... I know somebody who was George Lucas. <laughs> well, <laughs> up until about, you know, 10 years ago, he was, you know, yeah. the anti-establishment and nobody's more establishment than Disney. That is true. And he yeah. fought for control of his movies. He, he, you know, part of the deal with the special editions, I think, was to get back the rights from Fox for the original movie. Mm-hmm. And right. he's been fighting for this stuff for so long. And now he's finally got it all bundled together and he sells it to the man that he was trying to screw the entire time. That is absolutely true. Somebody made the point that um, Lucas actually had to retire or, you know, withdraw from the Directors Guild because he refused to put the credits before the movie. Mm-hmm. And Disney's part of that establishment that wanted that to continue. And yeah, uh, now, as you say, he's now accepting it and he's he's handing it over for, for what's kind of a pittance. I mean, $4 billion is right. less than what Disney bought Pixar for. Well, Disney so, bought Marvel for $4 billion. Yeah. And it's just characters. They got Industrial Light and Magic. They got Skywalker yeah. Sound. They got Indiana Jones. They got... Uh, Lucas Arts, Lucas Animation—they got all of that for the price that they paid for, you know, Stan Lee's superheroes. Well, I would have to say that out of all that deal, I mean, getting Skywalker Sound, getting Industrial Light and Magic—oh mm-hmm. yeah—is the real key there because you talk about Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I mean, these are two old franchises that really, the live, the you know. They're on the slide, and we'll see if they revive mm-hmm. them or not. I know Greg is hoping to have a whole series of uh, Shia LaBeouf Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, now he can be Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Excellent. It's going to be fantastic. Exactly. Well, no, no, no. Exactly. Oh. And, but, but, but getting those creative wings there, because, you know, ILM, they do work for so many other productions, I think... That's a big purchase for Disney, more so than actually getting the rights to Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dorkman, what's his real name? Matthew, Michael Scott. He just yeah, said Scott. he just said on Twitter that in 2015, we're going to have Avengers 2. We're going to have Justice League. We're going to have uh, Star Wars 7. And we're going to have uh, Hunger Games 3.5. And this is, you know, really good stuff for visual effects artists. And I'm like, no, it's really good stuff for Disney. Because they own Industrial Light yes. and Magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They own all that. The only thing they're not going to be doing, I mean, they're not doing uh, The Hobbit 3. will also be out in 2015. Um, and I don't think And they're be not doing that. Avatar 2 because Weta's going to be doing okay. both of those. Is Avatar 2 going to be 2015 as well? That's what that's what he said in that tweet. Wow. Oh, that man. could be. That, the... 2015 is going to be an insane year, you guys. Well, we're going to get don't flying Don't forget about Free Willy 6. Now, Free Willy awesome. 6 is probably going to take all those. And Jaws 19. Yeah. Jaws 19 comes out in 2015. But back to Disney, Greg, the thing for me is Mm -hmm. that I don't have any doubt that in terms of staffing, manpower, um, infrastructure of the company, financial resources, um, licensing prowess, I don't have any doubt that Disney has everything in place to take Star Wars forward. At that point, I just feel that Disney, with a few notable exceptions for the past decade or so has been more or less creatively bankrupt. And it just depends on who they put on this stuff because there Hmm. seem to be very few original ideas left at Disney. Um, I don't know if you guys, because you don't have kids, uh, if you watch the Disney Channel, but so much of what Disney does these days is the Disney Channel. 
And mm-hmm. it's just a collection. Uh, it's like it's like a factory of bringing in young kids to be actors or singers and churning them through the mill until they're about 18. And then you end up with people like Miley Cyrus who have to figure out where their career is going to go after Disney doesn't need them anymore because they're too old. And then they realize, hey, I actually can't sing. What am I going to (laughs) do? I actually have no talent whatsoever. Right. And, but, but that's what Disney has become. And they have a few good shows, you know, like Phineas and Ferb is, is a fantastic show. Um, The Emperor's New School is quite good. (laughs) But I don't know. And if you go back about a decade when Lilo and Stitch came out, now the first Lilo and Stitch movie was very creative. And I was actually shocked when it came out Mm -hmm. that it came out of Disney because it was so much better than anything Disney had done in years. Mm -hmm. But, But then they take that and they do a sequel and they do a sequel. And they're not as good. And You said they're creatively bankrupt. And I, I, I think I'd probably agree with that. Like, what have they done that's come out of Disney? Like, the exciting things about Disney right now are stuff they're bringing in. Mm-hmm. They, they bought Pirates of the Caribbean, which was a, basically a spec script that was being pitched to them. Right, um, which is merely they, based on a ride at Disneyland. Exactly. That's their right. connection to it. Right, and and they brought in Marvel and they brought in Pixar, and that's that's what Disney is today. And I yeah I I, I don't know what they're doing that's like core Disney anymore. I'll, I'll say it, I worked uh, in high school for the Disney store throughout college a little bit, and so and I grew up watching all the Disney films, and uh, I love that uh, whole genre, all the animated films, um, but. And I've watched them go through that slide and I, you know, I hated Home on the Range and, and those kind of animated films that just were not living up to what Disney was. But I have seen, um, you know, now that John Lasseter is doing all of Disney's animation, um, their films have been much better. Um, I, I believe Tangled was one of their best films that they've done, Pixar or otherwise. Oh, yeah, that, that's um, true. There and so um, I do believe that. And they... Wreck-Em Ralph looks like it's going to be good. Exactly. And so I I do believe that they have had um, a a resurgence in what they see as being core to their storytelling. Um, And they've been been trying to bring in other properties that they feel like that they can um, help shepherd in that way, too. Um, And then bringing in good people to do that. So say Joss Wheaton with Avengers. Let's get somebody who we can trust to shepherd this or in the same way that um, Batman was given to Christopher Nolan, um, mm-hmm. and they gave him um, some creative control over Superman, which you know I couldn't be more excited about because Superman's my favorite. So, um, in that same way that they've done that, DC has done that with Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney has been finding the people that have the vision to move forward um, and actually do good work instead of the crap that Chris was talking about, you know, on the Disney channel. Um, and, and let's make this good stuff. Let's bring Disney back to what George Lucas was at the beginning, which was an inventor, somebody who's a rebel. And I believe that drew, like you said, yeah, 15 years ago, Lucas would have spit in their face. But I think that he's seen a little bit of a resurgence in what he would say is good storytelling to be able to entrust then his baby. Like you said, George would never let anybody touch this stuff before, but he doesn't want it to end up just by being done by anyone. So he's doing the best he can to entrust it to somebody he thinks he can trust. And I mean, it's really good. I mean, if you look back at... There's a documentary that's really, really good on the episode one DVD. It's called The Beginning. And mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. your typical fluff piece that you see on a DVD. It's, it was actually made by these guys who came in and wanted to really show a clear picture of the film. And you can tell that it was on the DVD that came out a couple years after the film. So it wasn't part of that big publicity. And it kind of shows, I don't want to say the dark side, but it shows you know, kind of kind of the uncomfortable behind the scenes of episode one where Lucas really did surround himself with yes men. You know, mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. Uh, the, the big moment people point to is when he's um, looking at tapes of the different actors for for Anakin. And there's one kid that's awful 
and one kid that's pretty good. And then there's Jake Lloyd. And, you know, Jake Lloyd is Jake Lloyd. He's good sometimes, horrible other times. Who knows what you're going to get out of him. And Lucas, for some reason, thinks Jake's the guy. We should go with him. And you can tell the other people in the room really don't think so. They think they should go with the kid who auditions really well and is probably going to make the production go smoothly and deliver a solid performance. But no one's willing to stand up to George. But whoever they get in charge of of this now isn't going to have the huge power that George has because no one can be George again. You know, Rick Berman couldn't, couldn't be Gene Roddenberry. Uh, Brandon Braga couldn't be Gene Roddenberry. They're, they always had to allow other ideas in. And I think that really helped these shows be better. You know, even Ronald D. Moore couldn't run Battlestar by himself. He had to run ideas by David Icke, by his writing staff. You know, Brad and David were we're right there saying, no, Ron, that's wrong. <laughs> like, we can't do it that way. That's not the way the military works. And, you know, Lucas couldn't make 7, 8, and 9. It simply was impossible. So I guess I, I, where I'm basically going with this is I'm really, really happy that George is handing it to someone else and saying, you do it. Because whoever it is, it's going to have to listen to a lot of different voices. And there's a lot of voices at Disney. And that's going to make the end product better. Now, what it's going to depend on is who it's given to. Right. Talk about Joss Whedon got uh, basically Marvel. <laughs> basically, they gave Joss Whedon Marvel. And Christopher Nolan has been given DC for the large part uh, for at least the, the um, properties that DC still owns. The question is, who are they going to give Star Wars to? And I don't have a name right now. Do you guys have somebody that you'd really uh, love to yep. see? I do. Mm -hmm. You do? Stuart Baird. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Wait. What? Uh, no. The killer of Star Trek. <laughs> now, to bring, up, to bring up Star Trek, one of the things that, that, that really helped calm me down was the when Gene stepped back mm -hmm. and, and they made Star Trek 2. Yep. Which yes. was extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, it may be that the prequels are just our motion picture. Exactly. That's yeah. actually exactly that's a yeah. perfect a perfect analogy because Nicholas Meyer basically didn't he didn't listen to to Roddenberry at all. And same thing with Empire Strikes Back. Lucas was kind of there as a creative consultant. And we got the best Star Wars film in Empire. We got the best uh, Star Trek film in Khan. And that came out of somebody saying, okay, look, George, Gene, you've made a great thing, but step back and let me take it from here. And it wasn't until Gene, um, sorry, George grabbed control again to make the prequels that Star Wars really started going downhill. It was going in a really great direction by the end of Jedi, but it's because George... I, I don't even know how it happened, but he decided he wasn't going to let anybody else take control. He decided that he was the guy for the job. And I think that really, really hurt them in the long run. Well, well, George um, had decided, you know, working on Jedi, he ended up being on the set almost all the time because Richard Maqua didn't really have the acumen to do all of these special effects shots that they were having to do for Jedi. And George ended up being on the set all the time. So he just figured... Well, if I'm going to be on the set all the time, I might as well just direct this damn thing. Um, and so that's why he did that with um, the prequels. Uh, and yet, you know, as we all know, Empire turns out to be the best of them all. But that's because uh, Kirshner is able to take what's on the page and bring it alive in these characters in a way George just doesn't have, didn't have the ability to do with the actors i mean natalie portman is not a terrible actress but mm -hmm. she's horrible in the prequels she just never yeah. comes alive part of that's because she's acting with a board you know named hayden christensen but um <laughs> you know well i think a lot of it too is because as i understood it anyway especially with episode one it was first of all george lucas cannot write dialogue i mean yeah. i think we can all agree on that but also there, there was so much secrecy behind it that as I understood it, the majority of the people in the movie really di didn't even know the whole story. Yeah. And it's hard for you to sit down and actually emote and and convey to the audience 
the larger scope of the story and the destination that you're trying to reach when you don't even know where this scene started and you don't even know where it's headed. And that's why you get a lot of scenes like in the council chamber where it's just completely dead. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they, they literally brought in Natalie and Hayden, put him in costume and put him in a blue room and basically said, look, there's going to be a thing swinging at you. So duck, you need to run from here to there. And then they made the, the droid factory sequence in episode two out yeah. of it. And it's a complete mess. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I think didn't, I know one of the fan re-edits just took it completely out because it's just so bad. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of them do. But ba basically, Lucas said, hmm, I have a great idea. What if they were doing blah, blah, blah? But he didn't bother telling any of the actors. Yeah. He didn't bother giving it to a writer. He just thought it up in his head and figured, let me get it on film and right. it'll be fine. You know, I, and you asked the question, though, you know, who would we give this to? right now and mm. right now i honestly have the most trust when it comes to star wars with the clone wars team yeah. um you know dave filoni doesn't just do it alone he's the supervising director um george is the uh person in the background that helps them understand the things about star wars that only george understands whether it's the force or the jedi or any of those things i mean he's he's a he's a uh, walking wikipedia <laughs> uh, when it comes to those kind of things, uh, he's not as hairy. Um, but, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is excellent. Um, but I, I think that that team really understands Star Wars, and so if they want to start somewhere, I think that that would be a great place to start. Um, when it comes to directors, you know, I, I don't know, um, but just get somebody who has a vision, like they did with Star Trek '09. You know, get mm -hmm. Abrams in there. Um, but do that for Star Wars. Um, yeah. And so, because there's plenty of fanboys out there that could direct Star Wars, but I don't know if necessarily we need fanboys. We need somebody who has maybe a vision for what Star Wars can be for the next generation in the same way that um, the Clone Wars has had it for this generation. And I think they've done a great job, and I think Dave might be a good person to tap as a resource. I, I think that's definitely true. I definitely hope they they talk with him because I, I yeah he's fantastic and i do love the direction of clone wars i i'm not sure if he's i don't know i feel like he's not a big enough name to take over uh, that, that's the, true. the whole that's very thing true. Uh, yeah the best name i've heard on twitter today has been brad bird who's uh, one of the pixar guys yes who yes. made the incredibles um he made mission impossible four um i i have a lot of faith in him i think he could do a really good job directing it yeah. um but i mean that that'll be that'll be to, to see um uh drew what about you what are you thinking creatively giving marvel to joss whedon really gives me faith that disney may know what's up um i don't have any ideas of, of who they would give it to but it's gonna have to be it's gonna have to be somebody on the level of respect that i have for joss whedon yeah in in that regard for me to be halfway interested in future movies like if i don't even know everybody i know has a franchise now yeah. joss has avengers and jj yeah. has star trek and this is yeah let's not forget that i don't think someone necessarily needs to be a big name to take this over because that's very true you can often find a big name person who comes in and just wrecks everything because they don't understand the property that they're working on you can also find an unknown person who is this brilliant untapped mind that no one's heard of before well, who does amazing well. things and, and that's how they become a big name so they may find someone and and with disney and star that's wars true. yeah that's going to carry it no matter who's behind it i think so i don't think they have to get a big name director in order to sell people on the ideas of this. Well, if we're, if we're not going with big names, then uh, I'm going to go with Adrian Sace. Okay, who, who is Adrian Sace? He's 81, the uh, ah. Star Wars Revisited fan editor. Okay. <laughs> there we go. I, I do love what he's done with Star Wars Revisited. Um, I, I actually, you know, it's not just uh, you and me that, that's heard of it. I, I've heard other people outside of the Star Wars community actually talk about Revisited. Um, Merlin Mann, uh, who's one of the hosts on the 5x5 network, says it's the Star Wars he watches 
you know, when he sits down to watch Star Wars with his daughter, he just watches that one. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. he seems to have a I better idea attention... of what Star Wars is than, than Lucas does at this point. Mm-hmm. He, I think his attention to detail and, uh, yeah, just he's got this this knowledge of it and and the the know-how and he he wouldn't let i mean he's been working on empire for you've you've joked greg for like 20 years now (laughs) but i mean that's because he wants it to be the best it can be right and i i think that if you gave him a full star wars movie from start to finish he would not release it until it was ready no special editions we're we're this is going to be exactly what i wanted to see coming right out the gate yeah well, and there's 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 precedent for this sort of thing. Um, Lucas Lucas Arts actually brought in Ryan Weber, um, who was a fan filmmaker, to help them um, with lightsabers on some of the games, and I believe on Episode Three. So they they are sort of looking out there in the fan community for people who can help them, and it would be cool to see Disney do the same thing. I, we're sort of wondering, are they going to send out C and Ds to everyone right. in the fan community uh, tomorrow? And we're sort of still are waiting all, on that. Are we all going to get hired by Disney? Or are <laughs> right. we all going to get hunted down and killed? Right. Note when I say Obi-Wan Kenobi that I'm putting a, a C in a circle after it. Um, Wookiee, C in a circle. Uh, Luke Skywalker, C in a circle. Uh, so <laughs> Copyright Disney, Disney. Please don't come after me. Copyright Disney 2012 to forever. Let me ask... Chris, it looked like you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just had a different question that came up. Just as we're thinking about a new vision for Star Wars, and you're talking about the fan edits and all, I I feel like one problem for me with Star Wars, especially episodes one, two, and three, is that it became so artificial because there was so much overuse of CGI to the point where it feels like you're watching a fake story at times. Would mm-hmm. you would you like to see the new movies head more in an organic direction? You know, like J.J. Abrams has done. I, I know people don't like the the brewery engineering on the Enterprise and the J.J. movies, but I but at it. the same time, I one thing I do like about it is that it feels like a real place. You know, everything on that ship feels like a real place. And would you like to see that direction? in these new Star Wars movies of actually dispensing with the CGI and going with some more realistic environments. Yeah. What I, what I want to see mostly is models, models against blue screen. Those kind of effects can still work. Look at moon moon uses a bunch of miniatures with CG just it's still not at the point where we should be relying on it. It should be enhancing the physical Maybe, properties that were already CG there. ships don't bother me too much. I think I think Enterprise is a good example of how well you can do a CG ship now. The NX01 looked beautiful. Definitely. It's not so much the ships yeah. that get me, it's the overall environments. It's the fact that they don't actually mm-hmm. go on location and shoot. That's what I, I actually well, I and, actually and, love the visual look of of the Star Wars prequels. I may be I may be alone in this. Well, they're pretty. No, I like in I a like, still I like shot. Too. They're great. I I kind of think, and and even more than that, I, I think they're visually perfect, and I really don't mind that they're doing it. I think it's expensive, but somehow Lucas does it cheaply. Like he makes each of the films for like 130 million. Um, whereas because he owns Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, yeah that's because well, yeah, he owns Industrial Light and Magic. You'll see Disney doing this a lot recently. Yes, yeah, so I I wonder if we're not going to see you know that. Pirates 4 cost them like $300 million. John Carter of Mars, 250 Well, that'll come down now. Um, I, I, I wonder if now they're, they're doing ILM, if not, if ILM's going to be completely caught up doing Disney films um, now. But, but I, I guess my point is I, I love the visual style, and I kind of hope that doesn't change. I wouldn't want to see Star Wars um, done in the J.J. Star Trek style where it's so realistic um, and he's using the real locations. I feel like Star Wars is a different thing. And I love the crazy outlandish things you can only get by putting people on the blue screen or the blue floor, the blue room. Uh, just make sure the actors know what they're looking at. You know, make sure they've read the script, yeah, that exactly. they know the character, that they know what these things they're walking through and know the, the weird characters so that they don't look like, you know, lost puppets sort of just wandering through a landscape. And in, in, in a post-Avatar world, they may get something like yeah, that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 
where, where they actually had the previous stuff there and mm-hmm. they could see it yeah. while they were doing it. Well, yeah. and I think that that's one of the the great things again about uh, I keep bringing up the Clone Wars, but they keep diving into Ralph McQuarrie's old drawings. Oh, and yeah. they keep yeah. really getting into that and. Every time Dave comes up with uh, something new, he'll be like, but this is actually something that we got from something that Ralph did, you know, 40 years or 30 years ago. Um, And it's just been sitting around. And that's one of the things that I love about what Lucas did is, um, you know, they would bring him 75 different maquettes for an alien and he would pick out three that he liked, but they would keep all the rest of them. And so they keep drawing off all this stuff that George has already given them and so they have a vast well to 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 dip into of that kind of creative stuff so i think the look of star wars doesn't need to change um i i think what we most of us kind of resonate with is this we want to see the same kind of character development that you got in the original trilogy and that really you only saw maybe in episode three with certain characters like you know obi-wan he's the really the only character who really grows much in the prequels but that's kind of what we want from this seven eight and nine we want to see some character development um and obviously we're not going to be getting luke leia and han we're going to be getting some new characters that maybe come from the eu or just come from something that uh you know they think up with george what i really want from from seven eight nine i can't believe i'm saying this (laughs) it's a real thing it's still I'm still torn between childlike wonder and abject terror. But uh, <laughs> it, I think that what really hurts with the prequels is the casting and they just cast, you're a good this, you're yes, a good this, exactly. you're a good this, now you're best friends. While some of the magic, I think, came from they in the original trilogies, they had different sets of Han, Luke, and Leia. And mm-hmm. they, you know, swapped them out and traded them off until they found the best set. And I think that that's, that's something that, that 7, 8, and 9 should focus on is, is having an ensemble that is built to go well together. Avengers worked for some reason. Yeah. That's I, I, incredible. I think, you know, part of that is that Lucas was very, very scared when he was making Star Wars. You know, this was a new thing he was doing that, you know, they were giving him what, $15 million to make a sci-fi film, and that was unheard of at the time. And he made sure that he had that core dynamic of of Mark, Carrie, and Harrison uh, because he knew if that didn't work, the whole movie was going to fail. Exactly. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Disney is that scared. I, I think they were going into, into the Avengers. I think they hired Joss not because they were sure that Avengers was going to be great and let's bring Joss in because he's just going to make it better. I think they were worried if they didn't get somebody like Joss who could really handle it from the comic side and and bring the geeks in that it was going to get rejected. I think that was a real danger. I I really wanted to have Jose Munoz uh, from the the Zero Room on this show because he and Doug talk about... um, Well, they were wondering, like, is the Avengers going to be the downfall of all of this is the Avengers going to be the first film that starts the down downturn of superheroes. And I think what we're seeing is the exact opposite that superheroes are going to be even bigger post the Avengers because it was so good Uh, because Joss brought, um, they were worried so much that I think they really brought it for that film. And if Disney does that for star Wars seven as well, uh, it can be, it can be really good. Well, and that's the the thing that George wasn't afraid to do in Star Wars, which was um, it didn't matter what the name of the actor was. We want them to be the best yeah. actor for this part. And we yeah. need them, not only that, but we need them to play off each other well. So when you um, are doing all those screen tests and you put all those people in the room together and they actually get to interact and you see that they work well together, that's what you need to do. And in today's world, we cast movies based on star names and we slam them together and we hope that, you know, John Cusack and um, Jennifer Love Hewitt work well together because they're big names, Mm. Um, but they don't work well together. Um, And so you have to cast, I think, these new Star Wars films in the same way George did. Um, You need to cast for the cast to gel um, and to have that feeling that you got when you saw... 
um, Han Solo working together with uh, Carrie Fisher the first time. Yeah. Uh, they kind of loathed each other and they ribbed <laughs> off each other and it was great. But you knew that that was going to happen because you had seen it in the screen test a hundred times when Harrison was reading lines over and over and over again with everybody else. And they were trying to cast everybody else but him. <laughs> yes. And then they were like, finally, okay, we're going to go with this guy. You know why? Because he's Han Solo. Right. Yeah. And he just he just was. Uh, so we're getting near an hour. I want to make sure we keep this under 12 parsecs. Uh, so real quick, hopefully, I, I don't know, maybe we'll do part two next week. But I want to talk about what where they can go with 7, 8, and 9. Uh, Lucas talked about how there's all this EU how he's apparently got ideas for seven, eight, and nine. Um, you know, we've got the Zahn trilogy. Timothy Zahn wrote Heir to the Empire. So good. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that trilogy, and I'm forgetting the name of the of the next films, but of the next books. They're so good. They are already my personal canon, seven, eight, and nine. But yeah, as we said, I think Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are a little too old just to reprise their roles and do it. And I, I don't think Disney would be interested in doing that anyway. So are we going to see, are we going to see after yeah. that? Are we going to see, you know, it goes crazy. The the new Jedi order has like a uh, species from another galaxy <laughs> invade. Like, is that where we're going to go with this? Are we going to skip forward 50 years? Uh, well, let's see, Matthew, uh, what idea do you have for, for where seven, eight, nine are going to go? Well, looking at this, I mean, just EU wise, the only thing that I see is, is, that's there without, you know, the original three actors that we just talked about, um, you know, Carrie, Mark, and, and uh, Harrison. You only have the legacy comic, which is set 100 years later, you know, um, mm-hmm. and all of those characters are finally dead. I mean, in the EU, these guys are like 70 and still kicking ass. And so, yeah. um, because, you know, 70 is the new 40 in this universe. Um, that's true. And so... Uh, well, they drink a lot of calf, and apparently it's much better for you than coffee. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that I, I think that this creates for me the wonder of what do they do because without um, what we've built the EU on, which is you know these three main characters and them having kids and all that kind of stuff, um, I'm not really sure where they go. Uh, unless they can get at least maybe Mark and Carrie in there. Uh, maybe Luke is the last one left and he's the Yoda um, teaching a new group of students. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a Mark Hamill cameo. You know, have yeah, him show definitely. up as the, the head of the Jedi Council, but sort of passing it on to a new group um, yeah. who's, who's going forward. Uh, Drew, I know this is kind of painful for you, but if you could, if you could do anything... With seven, eight, and nine, what would you be doing with it? Well, if I were Disney, mm-hmm. um, and this is honestly what I think they're going to do, even if they do have all the rights to the EU, I don't think that they would have the rights to the EU characters flat out. Mm-hmm. So if they had Grand Admiral Thrawn, they'd have to bring, you know, they'd have to pay Zahn some money. I'm sure they and would. I, yeah. I really think that Disney is going to go their own way go their completely own way and you think they're just gonna any throw idea. out the eu just throw it out entirely it needs culling at least it it needs some some chopping down there's mm-hmm. a lot of of bulk there yeah. like jank uh boba fett has like nine different backstories yes and yeah. that was before it was revealed he was a clone and then they had to retcon all that stuff right and well, and, cloning- and the retconning was basically lucas said i don't care about right. what your what the eu he basically didn't care. So I guess the question is, does Disney care more than Lucas? And I, yeah, I doubt no, they care more than Lucas. No, I think that they're going to want to have Disney press books, the yeah. new EU. I mean, not necessarily like prime universe, alternate universe, but kind of the pre-Disney era. Yeah. We're, we'll, we'll talk about the yeah. golden age of yeah. the pre-Disney era, the Bantam book <laughs> era. Is there going to be a way to make sequels that sidestep the the eu like is there a way to not not entirely throw it off but at the same time go their own way i th- i think the eu every book has some kind of universe changing thing mm-hmm. that they they would have to mention it they would have to mention something about that even if it was you know greedo's cousin uh, <laughs> on a bar in tatooine 
and that's the entirety of episode seven, he would still hear about you know Grand Admiral Thrawn trying to take over the universe right. or something. And I mean, and I, yeah, there's all this stuff with like the reborn emperor and the Luke clone right. that's named Luke. <laughs> um, I, like, and I, I don't think Lucas liked any of that. You, you hear him talk about it. And it's like, that's really not the direction I would no, have gone No, it's because in. people started calling him George Lucas. Yeah. And he said, I'm just <laughs> not going to have this. Well, and he, he actually hates Mara Jade, which, you know, married. Right. Luke yeah. Skywalker he doesn't so, like Luke getting uh, married. He doesn't like the character yeah, at no. all. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I do think that um, you know when he was talking about the idea that we have all these comics and that kind of thing. You know, George actually does look at this stuff, and you know, he's gotten some of the ideas from the prequels and stuff from some of the things that we saw in the comics or you saw That's in the true. books, and and so George has allowed these people to play in his universe because, in in some ways, I think he's realized, look. Other people can have some good ideas. I might not like them all, but uh, I'll use the ones I like. And I think Disney's probably going to take that same um, vein here. They may take some of the things you see in the EU, but they're not going to be slaves to it the same way George is not afraid to overwrite anything that he needs to to tell his story and his vision. Um, And if they're going to go off, you know, original George Lucas story treatments and kind of start there as a basis for the story... Yeah, the EU is going to get overwritten, and I know that's going to make a lot of people mad. But you know, I, I we've been dealing with this with Trek books forever. Oh, you yeah. know, we always knew they weren't canon, um, but they were so much fun because they gave us more of our favorite characters. And and I'm not going to stop reading Star Wars EU because it might get overwritten. I just enjoy being in those characters' lives. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the same reason that I read and I. I review the books for Trek FM because I love them um, and they are a lot of fun. And and honestly, that's the only time we're going to get the prime universe anymore. Yeah, Um, that's quite true. I mean, yeah. And there's already Star Wars books, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. I talked about on the last Ready Room. Uh, No one cares about it anymore. Like it's not good. So it's not really part of the canon. Um, The Marvel comic books, um, the Marvel Star Wars comic books um, are basically thrown out. So it, there's already a precedent for it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, if not an all-out throwing it out, at least not not being too um, slaved to it. Uh, Chris, uh, what about you? What what do you think of possible plot lines? I'm not sure about plot lines. I mean, this this discussion about whether they would pay any attention to the EU, I I really don't think they will. Um, you know, it depends on who. They get to write the stories. Maybe that person mm-hmm. has something from the novels that really means something to them, and they decide to throw that in. But I don't see Disney as as uh, even being concerned about that in any way. I think that for them, Star Wars is the six movies that exist, uh, maybe the Clone Wars, but they're going to pick up from how it ended in Return of the Jedi and whatever they do with it is going to be based on the ending of Return of the Jedi. And as far as where they go with the story, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like because Star Wars is a linear mythological journey, like I said, at the beginning of the show, it's, it's not this open-ended universe to explore like Star Trek is at least not in its original incarnation. It's not, if they want to keep that line going and they want to follow the history of the Empire and and the Republic, it's almost like they're just going to be starting over. You know, it's going to be like the Battlestar Galactica, the cycle. You know, all this has happened before. It's right. all going to happen again. And so I don't know. Do they jump ahead, you know, 50 years? Do they jump ahead a thousand years? Uh, do they take something like a long view like Isaac Asimov did in the Foundation series, this long view of a galactic empire. Mm. Um, Mm. And if they do that, I mean, are the fans really going to enjoy that? Are they going to feel like they're just getting the same story told with new characters in a future time frame? I think as long as it has lightsabers, most of the fans will be happy. (laughs) I think think it's absolutely true. So I don't know uh, where I would go with it, given that I've known about this for about five hours (laughs) Right. Now, obviously, there's so much more we could say, and it's being said on on Twitter right now. Uh, Mark Hamill just finally weighed in on on his thoughts. Uh, but yeah, I really, really, Drew really want to try to keep the show to an hour. So I want to thank all three of you for joining me for the very first Observation Lounge. Um, hopefully, this is going to become a weekly show because there's always stuff 
I want to talk about that's not really suitable for the ready room or playing doctors or dispatches from St. Marina. Um, so I just want to first off say, um, if you want to find me anywhere um, on the Twitters, I'm there at Greg Harbin, G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B-S-N-B-O-Y-I-N. Uh, please do write me about your thoughts about episode one and, and your thoughts about the Star Wars episode in particular. I'm hoping if I get some responses, we can talk about them in a follow-up section at the beginning of next week's show. Um, so, Drew, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at 005, all spelled out with an O, not a zero. And they can find me on Trek FM, where we talk Star Trek. And I'm the original series editor there. Yeah, and thank you very much, Drew. Uh, Matthew, where can we find you on online? Uh, yeah, so you can find me there on uh, Twitter at Matt rushing zero two um i'll be running for president uh someday so i'll change that <laughs> bit at the end um and then uh, i do have my own blog it's uh 42 life in between dot wordpress dot com uh, i write just about all sorts of different things and then i'm the uh book reviewer for the newest books there at trek fm and so um if you enjoy the uh trek eu uh check those reviews out Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. And Christopher, I, I, I'm glad to finally do a podcast with you. It's great to, to finally ha- have you in person here. Uh, where can we find you? That's right. Online? Yeah. You and I have never sat down to do a podcast <laughs> together before, have we? I know. This is so strange. Oh, man. Um, well, of course, everyone can find me with you every week on The Ready Room, where we talk about Star Trek news and um, go into deep discussions about Star Trek with uh, all of our various guests. And um, you can find me doing other things. I'm the publisher of Trek FM, so you'll find me there, trek.fm. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at C. Brian Jones, and that's Brian with a Y. Once again, I'm Greg Harbin, and this has been the Observation Lounge. I was thinking of asking the senior staff to present their ideas, but I think this time I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want to do. Thank you, and see you next time. Meeting a trend.